So the story thing, this is where I love to work with people is on their story. Mm. So here's a couple of quick questions. Tell me three of your earliest experiences. If you have siblings, tell me mom's favorite, dad's favorite. What can the world expect from you and what can you expect from the world? And if you answer those questions, all of a sudden you have a very good idea of who you are. Welcome to the Manage Self Lead Others Leadership Podcast with Nina Sunday for experienced and aspiring people managers. This show will help you explore ways to become a more intentional leader. Each episode, host Nina Sunday speaks with some of the brightest business minds on the planet who share a passion to elevate and transform team culture. Workplace culture hides in plain sight. Is yours flourishing? Join the movement to make your workplace a better place to work. Are you ready? Because it's time to manage self, lead others. This episode, I'm speaking with thought leader and visionary Dan Silberberg, former managing director of Oracle and former CEO of many other well-known brands. With a master's degree in leadership and coaching and founder and CEO of IntelliKey, Dan is training the next generation of leaders. This is a return episode and conversation with Dan. I've gotten to know him over the last couple of years as we're both members of the C-Suite Network, and I've always been amazed at his insights in any breakout room or conversation that we've had. And this episode is part one of a conversation we're having about the inward journey of the leader. So... Strap yourself in, get ready for a ride. We're going for about an hour. But honestly, there will be a lot of trigger questions there that will perhaps open up some insights into the the authentic self that you are and the evolving self that you are becoming. So sit back, enjoy the conversation. Over to Dan Silberberg. I'm really excited to welcome my good friend that I've gotten to know over the last couple of years over Zoom through the C- through my membership in the C-Suite Network, and I'm always amazed at the insights he gets to share when we we've got breakout rooms or, or group meetings. So I'd really like to welcome my good friend Dan Silberberg. Well, it's great to be here, Nina, and thanks so much for inviting me, and I'm really looking forward to uh, a wonderful discussion today. Well, last episode where we we were talking about the leader operating system, one of the things you said, and I'll quote, there's only one journey, the journey inside, and it's this journey that we take inside to know ourselves. That actually opens up our chance to become the leader we're meant to be. So today's conversation is exploring that concept, that idea. So take it away, Dan. <laughs> Lovely. Well, I think the last time we said that one of the most talked about but least understood topics in the world was leadership. And I think one of the issues around that and why it's so difficult is there is no one definition that the world, the academia, that the business community can actually agree on as to what is leadership. Yeah. And so yeah. rather than be in that confusion in speaking about the inward journey, 
This is the journey for each of us to emerge to become who we're meant to be. That's easy to understand for each individual. So my company is called Intelliki. Intelliki is an Aristotelian word. And for Aristotle, what it basically meant was form to function. And so how he defined that was that the acorn transforms to become an oak tree, that the caterpillar transforms to become a butterfly. And so it's in this emergence that who and what they're meant to be and become happens. So for humanity and for humans and for us as leaders, it's that which resides in each of us that is waiting to be unleashed to become our full potential. So does that suggest that every leader should be thinking about themselves as an evolving human and not think they already know it all and they can just keep doing what they're doing? Well, we're going to get into that, but absolutely. So I haven't met anybody yet who is so enamored of themselves that they can say, oh, I've reached all my potential. I have nothing left to do. Yeah. Yeah. And and so for each of us, it is this inward journey to know ourselves, to know where we've come from, to know what our belief systems are, to know what our values are to know what our red lines are. And as we get into this, I've put together four areas to talk about today. And so we'll get into that. But to start, I wanted to actually prepare everybody for my sense of what it means to be a leader. Doesn't mean you have to agree with it, right? But it just means it'll set a frame and a context. We're used to hearing about leaders in business I want to tell you that who you are as a leader is well beyond who you are in business. It's who you are for yourself. It's who you are with your spouse, your children, your partner, your community, your church. All of the areas that you touch in your life, you actually bring you, the leader, to the table. Yeah? That's right. So so who and what's a leader? Leaders are people who help others to find a new understanding of the meaning in their lives. So when we purpose and meaning, my job as a leader, can I help reflect in you, your genius, your gifts, your light, and we create our identities, partly by ourselves, but more by how we're reflected in the world, and we'll get more into that. And and every leader that has direct reports really should be aware of the impact they're having in the life and the growth of the people that they're responsible for that are responsible to them. Uh, it's a big responsibility. And perhaps leaders, just those that are just focusing on results, aren't thinking about that secondary impact that they're having, do you think? Well, absolutely. So why are people quiet quitting? Why are people leaving their jobs? Because the leaders are not creating compelling values, mission, purpose, right? Meaningful work. So much work is really meaningless. And we'll kind of get into that. So leaders do so by revealing what they do, why they do it, or how they live in a different light. So what does that mean? Well, if you're a photographer, 
there's a couple ways of doing light and perspective. For many, we as we put the camera on, we see what's directly in front of us. So most people, if they were going to take a picture of you, they would see you. And it would be a narrow lens, and that's what they would focus on your blonde hair and your red glasses and your striped shirt and your jewelry and you, the person. But as an artist, I look at, and as a visionary and as a leader, I want to look with a wide angle lens. And so I see the poster behind you. I see the, there's some leaves, it looks like, or plants and some, you know, wood paneling there. So what happens when I get a wider view, right? So as a result, we see with greater clarity and new openings and possibilities for our futures to emerge. So how many leaders do we work with who paint and imagine for us a future so much bigger than ourselves with more possibility, with more meaning, with more purpose that actually brings me in and says, you know what? I want to put my effort and my thought and my energy and my passion into this game. As you transform as a leader, you have a bigger life. You see more potential in your business for your employees, but you see it for your family. You see it for your kids. You see yeah. it in your community. You start to see the world as a place where you can own something bigger than your own achievement. And that is where I think meaning actually starts to get created. Nice. So we begin to see with more insight we begin to see with more wisdom. So what's the difference between a 20-year-old and a 70-year-old? The 70-year-old has seen more movies, has seen more of life, and they have pattern recognition. And so as children, we start out with what I call the child brain. And the child brain is binary. Yes and no, right and wrong, good and bad, and black and white. It but is. As Right. And it yeah. is that. But as we grow as adults and we start to have a bigger vision of who we are in the world and what we're here to do, we grow from a binary to a much more of a gray area, more in nuance, more in, well, that could be an outcome, but this could be another possibility. So the the thing about having curiosity. So here's the problem. So if we had an hour. How much of the time would you spend on solving the problem and how much of the time would you spend on defining it? If you go to most meetings in a lot of companies, if there's an hour, 59 minutes is spent solving the problem and a minute defining it. The real question is, what is the problem? Yeah. Maybe we should spend 50 minutes on really defining the issue and maybe then we only need 10 minutes to solve it. Because sometimes they've, they're trying to solve the symptom, whereas they perhaps the, there is a root cause that's deeper. Well, also, they may be in denial, and they may not even oh. know what the problem is. So they're solving for something oh. that doesn't actually exist. So we've heard you know, before that we're solving a problem that doesn't exist. That happens a lot. Yeah? So... As, as we start to take a look at this, we have to first take a step back as to who we are. 
So becoming a more effective leader involving involves recognizing our filters and our blind spots. Mm-hmm. So as I start with a team, if I'm just hiring everybody who's like me, we're all going to have the same blind spot, right? So as a leader, how do I value the other people on my team because they have a different lens? They have a different experience. They have a different background. They come with a lived experience that's different. And so they'll see things that each of us doesn't see. And how do we start to listen more authentically, not to just go, oh, yeah, yeah, thanks for sharing. And everybody knows that you weren't even interested, Uh as opposed to actually listening and with curiosity, asking questions and digging deeper and really seeing what might be new possibility. So we want to go into a marketplace and someone brings up the idea of a particular idea and you, because of age and lived experience, say, I've already done that. That's just not all that valuable. But you know what? The people who you're serving, they may not be where you've been. That's right. And they may find that extremely valuable. So finally, in the act of seeing more broadly, right, we're freed up to let go of our outmoded beliefs mm-hmm. and our ineffective ways of thinking and leading. So one of the things when you talk to people, if you were to talk to an executive recruiter, Dan, I couldn't hire you. You've never been in the in the industry. They want people who understand the business. Thank God I haven't been in the industry. I don't bring the belief system. I don't bring the emotional attachment. I'm not changing the chairs on the Titanic. <laughs> that's yeah. Right. So that's what a Fresh lot of people do. Yeah. Right? Oh, we have a CMO from personal care. And he didn't make it work. So instead of going to L'Oreal, this time we'll go to Unilever. Really? It's the same game. Mm. And and so, you know, do we have this, this ability to hold more than one thing in our space? Mm. Yeah? Mm. I, I think that's particularly That's an important, important question. Yeah. So why the inward journey? So at the Oracle of Delphi, it says, know thyself. Socrates has told us that a life unexamined is a life not worth living. And one of my favorite German poets, Rainier Rilke, there is only one during going inside yourself. Right. So in a lot of cases, we believe, I think, that the best leaders are the ones who are the most competent at the hard skill. Right. Right. So if I could be a more competent manager, if I could be a better strategic thinker, if I knew more about finance, if I knew more about supply chain, if I had all of that, right, that's not really the journey. That's management. The journey inside is one of personal transformation. Oh, yes. (laughs) Yes. So. How do you do it? How how is it done? (laughs) Well, we're going to get there. So as as I look at the world today, I see that there's an inner restlessness. I see there's a sense of something missing. I keep hearing about the younger generation is lonely, is alienated. 
Well, if those are the people that are coming into our workforce and all we're going to demand is that you be better at accounting or better at marketing or better at sales, we're going to miss the target. Yeah. I think what we're seeing today is the disconnect between the intersection of work, meaning, and purpose. So when we hire, what do we ask for? We ask for a resume. What's that tell us? Well, that tells us that you've been in this role previously and you've gotten these really good results. It's just what you've done. It's not how you think or how you or your mindset. Right. So what we really want to know is who are we as a company? What do we value? Right. And what are our principles? How do we make our decisions? And now I need to know what are your values? Because if your values are different than ours, It's not going to be, I don't care how competent you are, it's not going to be a good fit. You're not going to find the work meaningful, purposeful, and be passionate to play with us. So part of this is reevaluating how we look at things. Yeah. So, and people are detaching, which is absolutely mind boggling to me. Right. Quiet quitting, resignation compromising, laying people off. So to be an effective leader, we really want to talk about, are you clear about your principles? Mm. Where are your red lines? Where are your values? Honesty to me is a value. Being straightforward is a value, right? Um, Looking out for others and being engaged in the business is a value. So how do each of us you know, decide that. And if we're recruiting, how do we ask those questions in a way that um, that is appropriate? Or, or is it? Or are there psychometric tests that that can do that? I actually did a values profile decades ago; it was very useful. Um, so perhaps some sort of testing. Well, for example, I'm a really ambitious guy. Is yours a company that values people being ambitious? Or is yours a company that values tapping down and fitting in? And neither one are good or bad. They're just different. And so if I'm highly ambitious, if I'm somebody who really likes having ownership, but you more like having you know, a way of of more control, I may not fit in well. I might be really competent. You might be really competent, but we're not going to be a good fit. So tell me about your culture. Tell me about the politics. Invariably, senior executives that I've interviewed with have always said, we're we're not political. Well, right (laughs) away, I know. What is it? Politics hides in plain sight. It is what it is. (laughs) Well, we're going to get into authenticity, and that's one of the ways that we as executives, and I've done it as well, can be inauthentic, Mm. right? Mm. So you would know this, and I know this, that the world is basically built on energy. Leaders are connected internally to their energy, to their values, for their dreams, for what they hunger for. Um, and that within all of us is this deep personal transformation that wants us to grow to become who we can become. 
So this life story begins to provide us insights and answers. And so as we assign these meanings to these lived experiences, we get to see where they hold us back, where they might be disempowering as opposed to empowering. We might even discover that they're not even truthful. So one of the things that happens to all of us we're born into the world in an inferior position, and we require mom or primary caregiver for survival. So if we're not fed, if we're not changed, if we're not kept warm, we die. Exactly. Right? And so what happens is we now look to those people. So our primary care, our family, our early school, and out there in the social realm, we are taught and downloaded a belief system. The reason I call it an operating system is zero to seven, we have no analytic filter. So whatever we're told goes to our subconscious mind and that's our belief system. Yeah, we didn't we believe it. it. It's what mom did. It's what the grandparents told us. You know, it's they came out of the depression, save all your money. Everything is scarce. You never know when you're not going to have bread. You know, that was their experience. Mm. Maybe good advice, but maybe a little harsh on the world, right? <laughs> so, so one of the big issues for a lot of people is I'm not good enough. Be more like your sister. Why can't you run faster like Joe? Why can't you blah, 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 fill in oh, the Oh, comparison. And also yeah. they talk about imposter syndrome. Yeah, well, that's another thing. Another thing. And then <laughs> What's the flip side of I'm not good enough is who the hell am I to think I'm this deserving? So when we look at Hollywood and drug addiction and suicide, that's a problem of I'm not supposed to have all this wealth. I'm not supposed oh. to be this famous. I'm not supposed to be this adored and loved and put in People magazine and flying on private jets. And who am what? Yeah. So these are all areas where this inward journey matters. Yeah. So if we can get to our stories, all of a sudden we can let go of what holds us back. We can tackle our self-doubt, right? And we can look at, gee, I have a fear, a fear of failure. But you know what? I actually have evidence that a lot of the things I touch are really successful. So now we now we actually get a chance to change who we are. This is transformation. Yeah. I get now. See, when I bring a pattern to recognition, now I get a choice to change it. Now my adult brain and adult Dan gets to say, even though mom thought money was bad, money's not really bad. Mm. And I change. And now if money's not bad and I can start to act in a way that creates more so I can do more and give more and be more out there for the betterment of others, how does that change my life? Pretty dramatic. Yes, it does. Yeah. And giving to charity definitely uh, promotes uh, a, a sense of uh, abundance because you're not operating in lack. I can't afford to give to charity. That is a lack uh, mindset. If you can give to charity, that is an abundance mindset and more and more comes. It's amazing. Yeah. So the story thing, this is what I love to work with people is on their story. Mm. So 
Here's a couple of quick questions. Tell me three of your earliest experiences. If you have siblings, tell me mom's favorite, dad's favorite. What can the world expect from you and what can you expect from the world? And if you answer those questions, all of a sudden you have a very good idea of who you are and where you've come from and that you now have. So an example of that would be there's a brother and a sister. Sister says, I was dad's favorite. Hmm, say more. I used to be in dad's library every day or every Saturday, two to three hours just with my dad, just he and I. That's so cool. What did you guys talk about? We never spoke. I was just in the room. True story. True story. Hello. I know your mouth is open. I'm like, <laughs> well, well, I'm trying I... to work out. Is that a, that's not a good thing, is it? That you never no. spoke. No, it's not no. a good thing. No. Except, so that, you... except that there is something positive around just being quiet in, in someone else's space together, but not if you never, ever spoke. What like does that. he? Yeah. So what message did that send to you as a child? Well, what, what the message, a man, see, actually, my belief is that it's the father who instills a strong self-esteem in the daughter. Right. And so she didn't have a strong self-esteem at all. So, um, well, I don't, I don't want to get too far down the road because it'll be identifiable, <laughs> <laughs> but it affected how she saw herself coming out of an Ivy League college. It affected how she saw herself as being invisible, how she didn't really value all that she was bringing into the world because dad never really drew it out. Yes. Yeah. 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 She was, she was virtually invisible to her father. That, that story, that scenario. So how do you think her relationship with men works? Oh, not very good. I can assure you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, (laughs) but all of these, see, the thing is by knowing this and being conscious and intentional, we can actually change. This is the thing yeah. that human beings can do, is that we have choice. And it's never too late. <laughs> I don't know about that. But... <laughs> well, it's just, that, it's just that I recently, I was working with, I'm not a coach, but a colleague who asked me just this question, what was one of my earliest scars in business? And that triggered me to remember something that happened to me when I was 20 that I, I hadn't forgotten the the event, but I'd not put two and two together that the reason I became an avoidant manager is the one of the very earliest jobs I had as a part-time job when I was a student uh, at university was um, where I, di- I did a job, I thought it was fine, and the uh, the boss said, well, you lost me money. And and was really expected me to have the head and knowledge of a of a of an experienced salesperson, whereas there was no operating procedures. And I, so I just left going, how dare he speak to me like that? And I was very upset. What it may, what I realized is that I avoided 
telling people, giving them feedback who were working for me in case they left straight away out of anger because that's what I had done in one of my earliest jobs. And to put those two things together has been quite an interesting awareness. That was only this year. Mm. So there's been decades between that event and seeing the connection between my early rookie manager poor behaviours. One was avoiding conflict, being risk averse, uh, mm-hmm. avoidant of, of those difficult conversations. It's one of the reasons I now teach that because I did learn, I now still have staff. I now learn how to have one-on-ones and how to not make it such, if you avoid talking about things, it grows. So what you want to do is talk about things as they come up while it's still light and fresh and easy to handle. But I only made that connection this year. So you're always learning. Yeah. So I was talking with a young man and he said, you know, I really don't like my boss and I want to leave the company. Yeah. And I went, yeah. And what is it you're going to do? Well, I'm going to go to another company. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And what happens when you get there and six months in, you don't like the boss. And then you go to another company and you don't like the boss. So here's the here's the challenge. You can leave any time you want, but I would suggest that until you master that relationship, you're not allowed to leave. Because if you can master that one, then when you go to the next one, you can master that one. And then you can go to the next one and you can master that one. But if not, all you're going to do is trade one ugly situation for another, and you will have learned nothing. One of the great things about the universe is they want you to learn lessons. And so if you leave without having learned the lesson, the second lesson gets harder than the first, and the third gets harder than the second. And eventually, you get a two by four. (laughs) So the first first thing we're going to do is construct our life story. Yeah. The next thing, the second piece of, of this puzzle is to know yourself. So when we look at this, it's how do you respond and who are you? So when we look at who am I, my personal identity is a sense of my location with the respect to possibilities of life. If I'm someone who sees enormous possibility, I don't see things that can hold me back. I think that I can choose in my own mind. I can do, I've been told, whatever I want to do, Dan, you can do. If you just put your mind to it, you work hard. That's one thing. You'll never amount to anything is a whole other thing. Neither of them necessarily are true, but both of them can be highly influential. Yeah. And so your life story serves as that internal mode of who I was as a child who I am right now, and who I can become in the future. And this is my identity, right? This is how I live in the world. So do I really know myself? And the, and the idea of your personality and acquiring an identity, again, begins in childhood. And so what's your identity? Your identity relative to possibility is what in your family, community, society, and school is socially acceptable. 
So Heidegger calls this the enculturation of they. Ken Robinson talks oh. about how we bleed the genius and creativity out of our youth. And Nietzsche called it the herd. Right. And so in this idea of the collective where we're all supposed to be the same and get along in these social constructs, this is where the conflict of who I am and who I can become resides. To what extent am I willing to risk rejection, not be accepted, maybe not loved, right? Because I want to become who I can become. Plenty of us go, I don't fit in. I'm trying really hard. I just don't fit in. And that is the most beautiful thing to me, that you don't fit in. Because there's this deeper yearning inside of us where we know, without too woo-woo, spiritually and soul-wise, it's not in alignment with who we are. I didn't discover my people until I was 22. And then I knew when I did. And it was fantastic. Until then, I was pretending to fit in. (laughs) I think for all of us, we have those moments of, I don't fit in here. This is not my group. You know, (laughs) I'm not, they're making fun of me. I'm being bullied, blah, 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 blah. And, and so who we are fundamentally when it, when it's know yourself, the question that I would ask you is, to what are you committed? Okay. Not what are, you, not what are your goals, because my goal is to lose 20 pounds. I'm going to the gym in January, and by February, I never see the gym again. So goals are interesting, but that's not who you are. Mm. Who you are is, what am I committed to? What am I a stand for? Where am yeah. I willing to stand up, regardless of what I think might be the downsides, these are red lines that are not going to be crossed. Mm-hmm. Right. So do I know that about myself? Well, what and are so- some examples of good things to be committed to? To answer that question, what what would you expect the evolving person to answer? I am committed to my own growth and development. Right. Right. I am committed to realizing my full potential. Nice. I am committed to being a Renaissance man who is highly curious and can speak to many subjects at a depth most people can't. I'm committed to that, right? I'm not committed to small talk. I'm not committed (laughs) to being in big groups. I'm not committed to consensus, right? So I'm committed to being a creative human being. Um, My biggest commitment is I see myself as a scientist. And the reason I see myself as a scientist is because scientists work in the lab. And what do they do in the lab? Hypothesis, antithesis, hypothesis, antithesis. But they don't work in binary success and failure. They work in experiment to learn more. So the more I learn and the smarter I get, because of 10,000 times to get to the light bulb. That's alchemy. Right? I'm committed to living a life of exploration and adventure. I'm committed to being in relationship and having conversation and 
dialogue and different points of view and all of that kind of thing. I'm committed to my kids having the best and biggest life possible. Mm. Right. I'm committed to my to having a family. I'm committed. And, you know, there's lots of these things um, in terms of where am I really committed? So one of the things I used to always interview people on. Tell me something you're really passionate about when you're out of work. On your own time, what are you really passionate about? Oh, I love art. Oh, great. Let's talk more about that. So what's your favorite museum in France? What's your favorite museum in Italy? What's your favorite museum in New York? How often do you go? Should we talk about Jackson Pollock? Should we talk about, you know, uh, and so I know, Van Gogh. <laughs> yeah, I know a lot about art. I know a lot about anything creative. I know a lot about music and movies and because I'm into creativity. Yeah, but I don't care. I just want to know to what depth can you talk about something that you say you're passionate and committed about, and you ought to be able to talk to it for hours. Yes, absolutely. And if you say, I'm, I'm really into photography, and I go, "Well, cool. What kind of camera do you have? How many lenses do you have? What are you? What inspires you? Are are you an Ansel Adams guy? Or are you a?" And they're looking at me like, "What?" They're Man, not right? <laughs> they're not committed, right? Ah, so so the, the challenge to the people listening is if you have any sort of uh, passion for for something outside of work, get deep with it, commit to it, explore the best of the best in that in that realm. Is that is that a piece of advice you'd be giving our listeners? The piece of advice I'd be giving them is if you have nothing that you're passionate about, if you have nothing you're committed to, wake up. Find something. Wake up. Wake yeah. up. Life is a beautiful thing out here. There's so many different opportunities out here. Are you hiding? What are you doing? And yeah. if you're see, if you're not committed on your own time, you're not going to be committed for my business. Yeah. You're not going to commit more to my business than you're going to commit to something. So actually, so, this is a question that uh, you can use in in recruitment. It's like, tell me about the things that you like to do outside of work and then go a bit deeper and see whether they are committed to a, to, to the, uh, beyond just saying, oh, yeah, I like, I like to go fishing. Well, yeah. do you use lures? What sort of bait do you like? <laughs> oh, I don't are, know. You doing, are you doing deep sea fishing? Are you doing fly fishing? What kind of fishing are you doing? I would have answered, I am totally committed to traveling the country with my son for his soccer development. So if I'm going to take this job, there may be some Fridays that I may have to ask for time because those tournaments and things happen over weekends. Right. I may be that I'm going to coach my son every Thursday at four o'clock. And so I understand your business and here's what I'm committed to. And I need to know if that can align. Yeah. These are the sort of conversations that need to be had before someone in, takes on a new a new position. And it's the manager's uh, responsibility and the person being recruited responsibility. Yeah. So All right. We were at construct a story, know yourself. What's right, number so part three? Of knowing yourself is this idea now of learning self-awareness. 
Right. So part of this is social emotional intelligence. Yeah. But part, so the social emotional intelligence part, do you recognize your emotions and do you recognize their effects on you? So when oh, I yes. get fearful is an emotion, right? So fear, joy, sadness, shame, anger, these are emotions. What's their effect? My boss just yelled at me. I now come down and I yell at my team the same way my boss did with me. Is that the most helpful thing? Absolutely not. So what happens if my boss is yelling at me or my spouse is really giving me a hard time? How do I react to that? Do I fight, flight, freeze? Do I get angry? Do I get physical? Do I walk away? Do I disengage? Who am I? Yeah, important. When I'm working with teams, one of the examples that have come up is that they have to work with uh, a colleague that might walk in and say, don't talk to me, I'm in a bad mood. And it's like, hang on, you should have left your bad mood at the door. (laughs) You're in a new environment now. (laughs) Well, you might want to say, you know what, that's really interesting. Unfortunately, we're going to have a meeting right now, but you know what, Nina, I would love to hear more about that. And so could you stay 10 minutes after and let's talk about what triggered you and how you might be able to better deal with that so that you can come in being refreshed and actually conscious and available to our meeting. I might say to you, can you get yourself together? If not, perhaps it'd be best if you actually don't come to the meeting. Oh, I don't have nice. to make you a bad person, no. right? But I can I can be compassionate. I can be, I want to help. There's a lot of things that as a leader, you would go, you know what? He's really interested in me as opposed to, hey, I don't, I don't have time for that crap. Take your seat. Let's go. We got a meeting going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So, and then we do a self-assessment is the second thing around self-awareness. Yeah. What are our fears? What are our vulnerabilities? What are insecurities? Imposter syndrome is an insecurity. The fear is they'll find out that I'm not really capable. Yeah. And then lastly is to look at where am I self-confident? Where do I see my self-worth? Where do I see my ability? Where do I see that thing that's unique about Dan that I don't think most people have? Now, as I start to get this idea I begin to gain new insight for myself, but actually, you know what? I have to reach out and be willing to get feedback. Feedback from my team, feedback from my peer group, feedback from reporting up. Why? Because our identity cannot be solely who we think we are. It has to be in reflection from others. Because and, and they I, I, they see the blind spot. The very fact that it's a blind spot means there are things about yourself you cannot see. Yes. And no matter what the feedback is, find the kernel of truth. Yeah. But you don't have to believe everything because in a lot of cases, other people will project their bullshit, pardon me, onto you. And do I know do I know the difference between the kernel of truth and projection and can i have a sense of humor 
See, at the end of the day, we're all sitting, and we're going to get to this a little bit later, but we're going to talk about appearances, and we're going to talk about the false self, and we're going to talk about the projection that we have out into the world, and everybody knows we're faking it. And again, it's counterintuitive. They're all waiting for us just to figure it out. They already know. We think what we're hiding, no one knows. Everybody knows they're just waiting for us. Now, Dan... We've yes. been going for 60 minutes. I know. I, and I don't ways through. I have two more to go. Yeah, yeah, that's good. I think I think we're going to have to do a part three. <laughs> well, that's all right. Am I going to get anybody to say, I want to hire you and work with you? <laughs> well, here's the thing. Before we close off, and we're, this is, is all, I doubt we're going to edit this out. This is really good stuff, Dan. People are saying, "How do I get to work with Dan? What do you do? Do you do you take what do you do one on one coaching with people or, or small group I coaching? Will, I, I will, but I'd rather I've put together fourteen programs that are eight weeks each, and this oh. is what I'm doing here is giving you the first eight week program. It's okay that we publish this. <laughs> well, sure, because if. You know what? This is see, this is where scarcity. I can give you all of this. And you know what? You can't do it on your own. It doesn't matter. What matters is now you're in a group and yet you start to share your story. And I'm working with you in the group. And now people are doing their own. See, this is the thing of where. And so I can give this all away. I can publish it. And you know what? 99% of people won't know what to do with it. The way my program works is I give you reading to do before the program. Oh, nice. So so you come having read these concepts that I'm talking about. Thank you so much for your your insights. And people will be able to find you at... Dan at Intelligy.ai, or you can give them my LinkedIn link. Yes, yes. It'll be in the show notes. Thank you so much, Dan. Well, I hope, like me, you could listen to Dan Silberberg speak all day. It is an honour and a privilege to be able to have this conversation and just let, let let him flow in conversation, his ideas. Nina Sunday is on a mission to help leaders transform culture. To book Nina Sunday CSP to speak at your conference, visit ninasunday.com to request a proposal. Nina travels from Brisbane, Australia for in-person presentations Australia-wide. Twice certified virtual presenter, Nina Sunday presents virtually, globally, for any time zone. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.